Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. A swing and a high fly ball. This could be trouble. It's at the wall. And it's a gunner! Welcome to the Lux Galore International Sports on a Sunday morning. Oh, yeah! On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Somewhere between now and the end of the game, someone's going to make a play and put their team in the Super Bowl. Warner going deep. Touchdown, touchdown. Ricky Prohl in the corner. They sold out with the blitz. What an unbelievable play in St. Louis sports history. The NFC Championship in the 1999 season, January of 2000. Warner to Prohl to beat the Buccaneers and advance St. Louis to its first ever Super Bowl. Kurt Warner, the quarterback, the Hall of Famer, visited with me on the Garage Happy Hour. It's amazing to think that just five months before that, he was not the starting quarterback, had no idea what was about to unfold after the preseason injury to Trent Green. You know, as we all know, you know, it's unfortunate because you never want to get the job based on somebody getting injured. Uh, But you also understand in this business that oftentimes you only get one opportunity. However you get it, um, you know, your job is to take advantage of it. And, uh, and that was my goal once, you know, Trent got injured and I found out I was going to be the guy, or at least I was going to be the guy for a few weeks. I don't know if anybody was convinced that I was going to be the guy the entire season, but was at least going to get that opportunity that, you know, I told myself, well, this is it. This is probably the last chance you got, um, put your best foot forward and, and you got to make the most of it. And, and fortunately I came into a great situation with a lot of talent, um, you know, some coaches that really fit what I was doing. And I was very confident. I was very confident that I could play um, at a high level. You know, I don't know if anybody's believe we'd play at that level, but uh, felt like I could play at a high level and, and show people that I at least belong to be in the NFL. Well, Trent had a really good camp. And, and then in the preseason, you know, Rodney Harrison uh, takes him out the knee and the, the injury. And I remember the next day they kind of scrambled and got a press conference together over at Rams Park. And it was uh, it was Dick Vermeil sitting at a table. It wasn't like the normal press conference situation. We all kind of like went over there, like, what are they going to do now? And Dick, uh, you know, puts his fist down on the table and said, "We are going to rally around Kurt Warner." He has tears in his eyes. I'm standing right next to him. We are going to rally around Kurt Warner, and we are going to play good football. And it was, I know you heard about it. I don't know when you heard about him saying that. At some point, you probably did because it was all over the news. But what did he say to you before 
he said that after he said that. What did? How did Dick Vermeil talk to you after the injury to Trent Green? Well, I mean, the, the one thing about Coach Vermeil is that he was always so upbeat and positive and optimistic. Um, you know, when he made that statement, um, you know, I'm not sure I was convinced. I'm not sure anybody was convinced that uh, that that was the only move that they were going to make, or that I would be the starter from that moment until the end of the season. I think there was a lot of things going on. Um, but I do believe that he had confidence in me, um, you know, but we also have to remember, you know, that was Dick's basically third year in St. Louis and everybody was basically saying, if you don't have success this year, you're not going to be here beyond this. And so no matter how much confidence he had in me, he really didn't know that much about me. So, you know, there was obviously a level of confidence in that statement. Uh, I think there was also a level of concern there, like, Oh man, you know, this is, this is my job that is going to go in the hands of this guy that we don't know anything about. Um, but I have to project confidence and I got to let him know that we believe in him. Um, you know, but I, I think there was also a lot of talks behind the scenes of, okay, if this doesn't work out, who can we get? How can we, you know, figure out a way to salvage this? Because as you said, Trent had an unbelievable preseason. And, you know, I think it's one of the things that was lost about that team was, you know, so much of our confidence came from what Trent brought. You know, he knew the offense. He understood it. He came from uh, Washington with Coach Martz and had been in the system. And how quickly we were able to have success in preseason, you know, based off of a 4-12 and season the year before, uh, you know, was in great part because of, you know, his confidence and his belief and the way he was able to grab the reins and run with it. And so, um, so – there was a lot of confidence building within our locker room because of the guys that we had added, Tory and Marshall, uh, and obviously Trent, and what we were doing in the preseason within the offense. Um, that that was part of it too. That there was confidence there in that, um, and so I think that was part of the emotions for Dick. Right? Was because man, I think we could have something really special. I think this could be really good, but now we're stuck with this guy that's never played and. You know, are we going to be okay with with the ball in his hands? And so I think there was a lot of things going on there. But every time Dick has ever talked to me, from the day that he he kept me uh, as a third-string guy to that moment to everything beyond that, you know, he's always had confidence in who I was. You know, so just because he didn't know if I would, you know, be great right off the bat didn't by any means mean that he wasn't confident in my skill and the fact that I could eventually get there one day. Um, you know, just everything got, you know, got pushed up. The timeline got pushed up very quickly uh, for both of us. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm so grateful for who he is and, and, you know, what he's all about and getting that opportunity from him um, at that point in time. And, you know, I've been talking actually about him a lot lately. And, you know, it's fascinating to me because when I think about Dick Vermeer, we've got such a great relationship and we have for so long that I automatically think, man, you know, the bulk of my career was spent with Dick Vermeil as my head coach. And, you know, every time I'm doing an interview and I have to kind of think back to it, I'm like, my gosh, we were only together for two years. And, you know, only one year when, when I was in that starting spot, because obviously he ended up retiring or semi-retiring, uh, you know, after that Super Bowl and then going to Kansas City. Um, but that's the kind of impact that he's had on my life and my family and, and, and me as an individual. Um, it just speaks volumes that, you know, I just feel like we've been around each other forever when uh, we really spent a very small portion of our lives 
together and uh, of my career together. But um, but he's an individual, an unbelievable individual and human being, and I'm just so grateful for for what he's meant. Um, you know, obviously to my career, but more importantly to uh, to me as an individual. You had it was like the perfect group, as it turned out. You had. Dick Vermeil, who was your emotional leader, who kept everyone motivated, got to go to work, the wheelbarrow, you know, the whole thing, got the yeah. defense fired up because you got to have defense. And that defense was very, very underrated. When you look at the, the history of the, the Rams, people will look back. The 99 defense is, in fact, it turned out being a tackle one at all. Uh, but you had the mastermind of Mike Martz, who wanted to, who created this offense and played fast. You had the receivers to do it. You had the all-star, amazing, all-pro running back. You had the, as it turns out, somebody at left tackle that that uh, protected your blind side and, and is maybe one of the best, a handful of best to ever do it. But, Kurt, as it turns out, they needed you, and they needed you were the perfect person at the perfect time. You were the one that was able to keep the machine moving and do it uh, – you, you spoke with great confidence, and I'm certain that in the huddle, in the locker room, that people fed off of that. What was the moment in the season? Because it was so fast, like you said, everything was happening so quickly that the group realized, oh, my gosh, we have – was it the San Francisco game, or the 49ers game at home where you're like, we, we could do this? Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't say even at that point that I thought – you know, we might win it all. But I think that was the moment where we started to think, okay, we, we may have something here. We may have something to build on here. And, you know, the first few games of the season went really well uh, and we were playing really well. But, you know, you know when you were you were around that team in, you know, prior years, I mean, it was 17 straight times that we had lost to the 49ers. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you know, everybody knew it didn't matter what we did anywhere else. If we couldn't knock off the 49ers, then it, you know, really wasn't going to be that much different than what uh, had happened in the past. And so uh, that was really a, a turning point uh, for us to, to kind of go, okay, we're playing against the big dogs, the, the, the team that's kind of owned our division. Um, and yeah, we've got off to a good start. We're feeling pretty good about ourselves and people are talking about us, but you know, we need to beat somebody. You know, we need to go in, in in one of those situations and show everybody, but more importantly, show ourselves that we belong in the mix. And so to come out in that game against San Fran and, and really to, you know, not just win that game, but to play like we did um, and continue what we had, had started against a good team like the 49ers and a team that we hadn't beat in so long, uh, that was the moment where I think everybody kind of looked at each other and said, okay, all right, this is different. This is different than what's happened before. And I know there were some teams that started out pretty good for the Rams and then fell apart at different times, you know, over that last decade. Uh, everybody just looked around and go, okay, you know, we felt like we were pretty good, but this was, this was something different and, and I think showed all of us, okay, we've got a chance to, to do something. And, and, again, I don't know if anybody was thinking Super Bowl at the time. But, I, but we were believing that we could make it to the or make it to the playoffs and make some noise and, and have a really good season, um, you know, unlike they had had in, in St. Louis for a while. You had every defense on its heels, and people are writing about the team, talking about the team. This team is unbelievable. How are you going to stop them? 
And then the one game in that season that does stick in my mind that I think was a, a changer for you, as it turns out, was the Titans, the, who you would see later. That was a heck of a football game. It was a physical football game. They punch you in the mouth. You punch back. It was at their place. You ended up losing that football game. But, you know, in life, you have to fall to get back up off the canvas. I felt like that was a turning point for the 1999 Rams. Yeah, I think that game and the next one against Detroit. You know, we actually started 6-0, and and then we lost those two games in a row. But it wasn't so much that we lost them. But it was how we played, especially late in the game, uh, to battle back and give ourselves an opportunity. And, and I think that's where so often character is really developed. It's, you know, it's one thing you know, to beat teams by three touchdowns and to play really well and to be the right. greatest show on turf and, and all of that. You know, that was one thing, and that was great, and it was special. But you know, what really makes a team is, okay, when, when you're not playing at the highest level, when things aren't going your direction, when you don't have your A game, what do you do? You know, what is your team made of? And so we had two straight weeks where we were in dogfights and we had fallen behind in those games and we came back uh, late in those games and we gave ourselves a chance, you know, against the Titans. We had a chance to kick a field goal to tie it. We ended up missing that field goal. And then against, you know, Detroit, uh, those of us that were around it will never forget fourth and 26 Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, them converting a fourth and 26 that led to the winning score. Otherwise, we come back and win that game. So um, those two games we lost, but I think we found out a lot about who we were and that we weren't a fluke and that we weren't a team that could only blow people out and, and play from ahead, you know, a front runner. We could compete. And, you know, we had the characters to be able to figure it out, um, you know, when, when we weren't playing our best. And so I, I agree with you that that two-game stretch – I think really defined us and showed us, you know, what kind of depth we had as a football team, you know, and those were things that we would see down the stretch, specifically the NFC championship game and the Super Bowl, um, you know, what we were made of and how we were able to battle and, and, and be able to overcome different things uh, that we would see throughout a season because nobody has, you know, or very few have a perfect season where everything just goes their direction where they don't have to, to overcome you know, to win games or to have success or, or to get where they're going. And, um, you know, and that was, I think, a really integral stretch for us to find out who we were, I think, for people to find out who I was because, again, came on the scene and we had a lot of success, you know, and then finally here in game six, okay, you got some adversity, right? Now, you know, we've fallen behind. Let's see what you're like. Let's see if you can lead us. Let's see if you can make some plays when a game's on the line not just, you know, when we're up by 14 and, and you don't really have to worry about anything. So, yeah, I think a lot was determined about our team and, and myself uh, during those couple games where, uh, where we ended up losing. But, um, you know, but it showed a lot about who we were. And when you made it to the playoffs, the game against the Vikings, which to this day is probably the loudest sporting event I've ever attended, was an unbelievable celebration. It was the first playoff game ever in St. Louis. You beat the Vikings in a high-scoring game. And then here you are late in the game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFC Championship, and you're down 6-5. to five. That's the <laughs> score. After all of these points, after all of these yards, after this amazing season, it's 6-5 to five late in the fourth quarter. Can you take us through the pass, the high-arcing pass and catch by Ricky Prohl that sent you to the Super Bowl, for sure. You know, and I think you know one of the coolest things about that moment. Now, it wasn't 
a shining moment for us offensively or, or for me, so to speak. But, you know, you mentioned it earlier, how good our defense was. And, you know, our defense was unbelievable that year, turning the ball over and creating opportunities for us offensively. And, you know, they were just never going to get the credit because what we were doing offensively was like record-breaking. And so, um, you know, I really kind of loved that moment for our team because it allowed our defensive guys and it allowed the light to be to be shown on on our entire team because of that performance and the fact that you know the greatest show on turf uh you know high scoring team in the nfl has five points you know late in the fourth quarter of the nfc championship game you know if anybody would have told you that the automatic response would have been oh they're not winning this game because they're all based on their offense and our defense was phenomenal that year and so uh, you know, I think that was, you know, one thing that I took great pride in is that we had a game like that where the light was on our defense and those guys got to be lifted up or they got to carry us, um, you know, to that big win. And then, you know, that, you know, on top of that, you know, the, you know, touchdown pass to Ricky was uh, his first touchdown catch of the year. And so with all the points we were scoring and the fact that everybody was scoring and that, you know, everybody got their hands on it, they were getting in the end zone. You know, here's Ricky, one of our, you know, our veterans, the guy that I know a lot of people don't remember, but was the MVP of our team in 98. Uh, you know, Isaac had gotten hurt, and, you know, here comes Ricky. And Ricky's the MVP of our team, but he's kind of forgotten amongst Tory and Isaac and, and, and then Oz and Marshall. Mm-hmm. And he hadn't scored, um, you know, all year long. And I remember the last game of the year we played that, that season was in Philly. And, uh, you know, we're playing against Philly, and there was a play where, you know, we called it, and Ricky was wide open down the middle of the field. I mean, if I just give him a good pass, you know, he, he hits his head on the goalpost. Nobody even touches him. And I make an awful throw, and he slides, and he, and he makes the catch. And, you know, we picked up 25 yards. But, um, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, kind of kicking myself, like, oh, my gosh, this was Ricky's chance to get in the end zone. You you blew it. So all that had transpired. And then here we are in the biggest moment of our season. And uh, on that particular play, um, so we're going up to the line of scrimmage, and Tampa is showing what we call a four-week blitz. So basically they're, they're bringing their weak side linebacker, and then John Lynch, who's their safety, was going to blitz. And in our offense, it's what we call a side adjust, meaning we couldn't block both of those guys. So when that happens um, – you know, our, our single receiver over there where Ricky was playing, he's got to make uh, an adjustment to his route. And so all week long, we had talked about, you know, running a, a hitch route. And so they were showing that four-week blitz. And before we snapped the ball, I can't remember if it was us or them, but somebody called a timeout. And so timeout had been called. Um, you know, I'd seen that the blitz was coming. You know, what normally happens in the NFL if somebody shows you something and you see it, they're, of course, not going to do it again. Uh, so we didn't expect them to do it again. But just to be safe, I you know, walked over to Ricky, and I'm like, okay, they were showing us a four-week blitz. You know, all week long we've been talking about running the hitch. And I basically just said, but, you know, we're not playing very good offensively, and we need to make a play. So if by some chance they decide to bring that four-week blitz again, just run a go route. And let's see if we can steal one right here because it has been a struggle all day long. And so we come out of the play, and sure enough, they bring the four-week blitz again. Uh, You know, Ricky turns it into a go route. You know, Tampa's usually so good at that that they understand that when they bring four-week, I can't usually hold the football. So 
the corner on that side squatted a little bit, being ready to jump something quick. Ricky's able to get behind him, put the ball up. He makes a great catch and gets both knees down for the touchdown. But, you know, such a, a crazy, you know, when, when you go in depth and, and, and realize what really happened on that play, uh, really amazing how it all played out. And then, again, the fact that Ricky hadn't scored a touchdown all year long, uh, and sure enough, he's the one that comes up with that huge play along with our defense to catapult us into the Super Bowl was just, uh, you know, it was incredible. But I, I think it just really spoke to what our team was all about, the number of playmakers we had on that team and how guys were completely unselfish. But when they were asked upon to make a play, we had so many guys on that team that stepped up and made those plays. And that's really what it's all about when you're talking about winning a championship, that it really does come down to so many different guys having to make the play when, when they're called upon to do so. And then there was one more big play, big pass catch. And, and just leading up to that, you know, Torrey Holt, spectacular player throughout his career. He's so young. He's playing in a Super Bowl against the Titans. You go up on his score, you're up 16 to nothing. And here come the Titans again. You know, they, they, to their credit, I mean, they were tough as nails. And they kept coming at you. They tied the game. They gave you some trouble, some different looks. But late in the game, again, here you are. It's, I mean, it is what movies are made of. I mean, you can't have a movie without a dramatic ending. And after all that, you go to Isaac Bruce on a play that goes 73 yards. That was a, an emotional release. I know there was still more to come, but yeah. that moment in time, St. Louis completely lost its mind. I mean, I, it was just, uh, you know, and to have you connecting with Isaac, and I know that, that uh, for you, from your perspective, you'll tell us about it, but it was, uh, it was an emotional release that I know that sports fans in St. Louis will never forget. No question. I mean, none of us will ever forget it. You know, you just, there's so many things about it that you just can't, you can't write much better than that. You know, you've always wanted to win the Super Bowl, always wanted to throw the touchdown pass to, to win the Super Bowl. And so here not, here you are in you know, your first Super Bowl and you get a chance with two minutes to go uh, to lead your team down to, to win a Super Bowl is what it's all about. Um, you know, and even Dick on the sideline before I went out of the field kind of just mentioned that same thing. He's like, you've dreamed about this a million times. Like, I mean, just like this. Now go out and, you know, and win it like you have in your front yard so many times. Isn't that cool? Kurt Warner. We will continue that story and that amazing play and the play that followed for Kurt Warner and the Super Bowl champions a little bit later this hour. Coming up next, our regularly scheduled 1130 visit with John Mosellock, Cardinals president of baseball operations, is next on KMOX. From KMOX Sports, here's the pitch. Welcome back to the Lux Calore International Sports on a Sunday morning. America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back to the show. Great, as always, to spend a few minutes with John Mosellock, Cardinals President of Baseball Operations, every Sunday at 1130. Good morning, Mo. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you, as always. Well, we made it. We made it to July 19th. Every day is a step closer, and as we've been saying back since early March, it's a day-by-day situation. We've gotten to this point. So it is game week. Yeah, I, I mean, it's very exciting, right, um, to know that we, we, we might actually be playing a real baseball game on Friday of this week. And, and I think, like, like normally, as, as you lead up to your, your home opener, there's, there's certain 
excitement and anticipation, whereas this year's a little different because of what we've all been through. But having said that, there's still that, that you know, sort of optimism of, of look, we're going to be playing baseball this week. And so you know, we still have some work to do on the baseball side. We're going to have to pare down to 30. Um, so there is some homework that, that still needs to be done. But the fact is, is, is you know, we're, we're five days away from people being able to watch Cardinal baseball. That matters. It's getting very close. You have an inter-squad game today. We'll be over there broadcasting that one. And if you do the same on Monday and Tuesday, KMOX will be on it. And we will have the Wednesday game as well, the 305 game against the Royals. Mike Matheny will be back in the house. How did that one come about, John Mosellock, with the Kansas City Royals? Well, you can imagine, uh, you know, even back in, in late March when, when everything was sort of coming to a halt, I reached out to a couple teams just to see if, if maybe playing an exhibition game would make sense. And candidly, that was putting the cart way before the horse. And so over time, we sort of kind of came to the conclusion we didn't really feel like we needed one. We talked to our veteran players. They were saying, look, let's just get us some version of a camp and we'll be ready to go. But then uh, I, I had talked with uh, Dayton Moore with Kansas City, and he had felt like they were willing to come here on their way to Detroit for their um, opener. And so I said, look, I think it makes sense for us to do a test drive. And it's not just for players. It's really for the, the whole operation because everything we're doing is new. And even getting you guys into the box and calling a game and, and, and understanding where you can go and where you can't is going to be important. And so we thought having a trial run would make a lot of sense, and that's really the impetus behind uh, Wednesday's game. Yeah, I felt very safe there on Friday, and really just observing the inter-squad games last week, uh, it just seems like the players are smiling, they are in their element, and when they're between the lines, it's a very happy place to be. I don't know about you, and I know that there's a lot of things going on. I mean, we're in your place of work, so that is your operation. But for me, and I think for the players, having not talked to all of them about this, but kind of hearing, just getting back to the game lets you forget about some of the things that are happening around us just for a little while and can give you a sense of normalcy. And hopefully baseball fans, when they listen or watch these games, and Dan McLaughlin's doing a wonderful job as well on Cardinals.com, that it provides that also. That it can give people a bit of an escape. Baseball has played that role for many people through the years. Well, that's what you hope it does. Um, and you hope that it's something that, that not only provides an escape, but some enjoyment. And so, you know, when you talk about Mike Schilt and, and our players and how they're focused, they understand that come Friday, it's, it's real competition. Now, there might not be any fans in the stands, but the games count. And I, and I think, you know, Mike and his staff have done a really good job to, to make guys realize that. So, yes, um, I think our players are enjoying being back at Bush, enjoying being back on the field. But there is a sense of urgency and, and there is a sense of, of, of real focus, which, you know, when you sit in my seat, you have great appreciation for. So um, as, as exciting as, as this next few days are going to be that leads up to Friday, my point is, is is these guys get what's at stake, and and I think that's uh, going to be make it's going to make our sixty game season that much more fun to watch. A lot still to be sorted out in terms of roster and placement, and and some players have been 
held back because of health or other issues to, to be able to get out there and pitch. But gosh, it has to be nice to know that Cabrera is back and Reyes is back and Gallegos is back in town. And you just sort of, you knew that there was a possibility you wouldn't be able to have everybody all at once, but it sure looks like it's starting to trend that way. Well, I've tried to explain this to people that, that are asking me about how you think about roster management. It's, it's probably the oddest roster that any of us that have run a team have ever experienced because when you think about a normal season, you, you have a 25-man roster, but you have a double-A team, a triple-A team. You can tap into it any time. And then you get to September, you can you can have up to 40 players available if you choose. This is opposite, whereas you're going to have 30 players and then you're going to drop to 28 and then to 26. And, and so it's actually a reduction instead of an increase, which as, as you get the dog days of summer in a regular season, that's something that you're very conscious of managing, staying fresh, trying to keep everybody healthy. Whereas in this particular case, it's going to be like, you're almost going to have too many players available. Like in that first week when you have two off days, which is, it's sort of odd, but those are the rules. We'll play by them. And we don't have the minor league system, if you will, to, to tap into. Now we're going to try to replicate that down in Springfield as best we can. But reality is, is as you think about this roster and how to get us to that end, end point of, of the 60th game, it's going to be we have to be you know, patient for that first month because when you get into that final month, you're not going to have any resources to, to help um, support you. Now, you still have the ability to option up and down in that case if you wanted to find somebody fresh, but it, it's not exactly like pulling from a normal AAA team. And finally, when we talk next week, if we do, I never assume, of course, but based on your busy schedule, I just appreciate you saying yes at these 1130s every Sunday. But next Sunday will be a game. It'll be your third game. And then you will take the next step, which is packing your bags for a trip. And that will be to Minnesota. That is the next big challenge. We've talked about this multiple times now. But that's going to be up to, in a lot of ways, players policing players and policing themselves to do the right thing. Yeah, so we enter a, right now I'd say we're in a fairly protected uh, biodome, if you will, here. Like everybody sort of understands the rules. But next week when we um, actually get on a plane and, and go to another city, there's going to be new risks that, that take place. And, you know, look, we've been very candid with our players on what that looks like, what that means. They've asked lots of smart questions. I think that they understand it. But, you know, until you actually experience it, there's going to be some unknowns. So, you know, I think getting through Sunday, we're good. It's going to be a, an interesting three-city trip as we leave St. Louis and experience an airplane, buses, and hotels for the first time. And they will be Minnesota, Milwaukee, and Detroit for the Cardinals, who open things up this Friday against the Pirates, exhibition game against the Royals, inter-squad game today at one fifteen. Looking forward to bringing that to you. John Mozalock, thanks as always for these visits. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Be well. You too. John Mozalock with us on KMOX Sports on a Sunday morning. We'll take a break, come back here a little bit more of Kurt Warner as we take you up to noon here on Sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to the Lux Calor International Sports on a Sunday morning. Oh, yeah. On a 
America's Sports Voice, KMOX. I'm Tom Ackerman. A little bit more of Kurt Warner from my Garage Happy Hour. When we left earlier this hour, he was telling the story about what Dick Vermeil told him right before he took the field in Super Bowl 34 for that final play. Before I went out on the field, kind of just mentioned that same thing. He's like, you've dreamed about this a million times. Like, I mean, just like this. Now go out and, you know, and win it like you have in your front yard so many times. And then to have Isaac be the one to catch it, uh, I think was extremely symbolic as well. Because, you know, when, when I had gotten there, when, when a lot of us had gotten there, you know, Isaac was the elder statesman. And he was such a great football player, obviously a Hall of Famer, as we know, um, you know, overdue, but, but glad that he's getting in here in 2020. But, you know, he, he was what really started this and really showed us, um, you know, what it was to be a Ram what it meant to be a pro, the way that he worked every single day, the way that he taught us young guys that were just coming in to try to figure out how to do this thing. You know, he really spearheaded uh, that confidence and that work ethic and, and what we were all about. And so for him to, to make that play, um, you know, and make that catch and score that final touchdown, I think was just fitting of, of how it should have been. You know, there was just so many – Crazy things that happened that season, but that to me was fitting. You go back to the 49er game, which we were talking about. You know, Isaac scores three touchdowns in the first quarter. And, you know, again, that's where we talked about earlier, where it started. Was Isaac going, okay, here, watch. You know, watch me in practice. Watch me in this big moment. You know, the same old lambs. We're not supposed to beat the 49ers, all that stuff. Okay, watch me. I'll show you how we're going to do this thing. Bang, you know, he shows us. And then, of course, in the Super Bowl, when we need a big play to be made to, to finish this thing, there's Isaac, number 80 again, making that play and making the adjustment and then the run after catch. Um, you know, just, again, there's just so many things you don't, you can't make up. And if you're in the locker room, you understand the significance and some, uh, the symbolism of some of that stuff. And so, so fitting that, uh, that it was Isaac that really kind of carried us, uh, you know, to that Super Bowl win or, or to that play late in the game because – uh, for so many reasons, he he really kind of was the one that uh, that got us going in the first place. Where were you when Mike Jones made the tackle? Where were you standing next to? How did you see it? Well, I mean, normally when uh, when I'm playing, I, I'm usually off on my own. Uh, you know, I don't stand next to a lot of people. I'm usually kind of go to the far end uh, from where the football is and kind of watch the game, but just kind of contemplating the game as a whole and what I need to do moving forward. So I was down on one end by myself and, you know, of course, uh, you know, with the way the play happened, uh, it was impossible to be able to see where the ball was in correlation to the goal line. Um, you know, so like most of us, all, all we saw was, you know, just kind of the reach by Dyson and, you know, we're all going, Okay, I have no idea. So I just remember looking and seeing the reach. And then my first thing I did was I looked up at the scoreboard and I saw triple zeros. So I'm like, okay, we're either going to overtime or that's the last play of the game. And then my eyes went straight down to the, uh, to the official that was on the goal line just to see what the call was and what was going on. And then, you know, seeing him kind of wave it off and, and say the game was over when, when it was time to kind of go, oh, my gosh. You know, that, that split second where you kind of see everything come back and, and you realize, oh, my gosh, we just we just won the Super Bowl. But, you know, it seemed like, you know, the longest 10 seconds of my life trying to figure out what exactly the outcome was. But, 
you know, thank goodness we didn't have to go into overtime and, uh, and have to play anymore that it's a great play by Mike Jones. I mean, again, I mean, you watch that play and you just think to yourself, how many times could he have made that tackle the way that he did without, you know, Dyson being able to get through and get to the goal line. I mean, kind of one hand and took his legs out, but again, it's, it's just a beautiful part of what our season was all about. I think those last two games really spoke to what we were as a team and that we weren't just the greatest show on turf in this high flying offense. We were a complete team where guys stepped up over and over again when they were called upon to do it. And, you know, the offense stepped up when we needed to. And, and sure enough, it was a long last drive by Steve McNair and company. But when the play needed to be made, um, there was another, you know, often unsung hero in, in Mike Jones that uh, that came up with the huge play. Shotgun for McNair. Takes the snap. Looks to the right. Throws. In, and is complete to Tyson at the one-yard line. And he stops short. The clock strikes triple zero. Kevin Dyson caught the ball, and Mike Jones made the tackle at the one-yard line to preserve a win for the St. Louis Rams in Super Bowl 34. An incredible moment in St. Louis sports history. Thanks to Kurt Warner, my guest on the Garage Happy Hour this past Thursday. We've had some run of guests from Kenny Wallace to Kurt Hunziker, Chris Pronger, Ozzie Smith, Mike Schiltz, we had Tony LaRussa, Jackie Joyner-Kersey, Sterling K. Brown was with us, Bob Costas, the entire radio crew of Mike Shannon, John Rooney, Ricky Horton, and Mike Claiborne. Mizzou coaches, Conzo Martin and Eli Drinkwitz. And last week, David Freeze, and just the, this past few days, Kurt Warner. It has been some run. I have no idea who I'm going to have this Thursday. <laughs> But we'll come up with somebody. It's the Garage Happy Hour. It's sponsored by Overhead Door Company of St. Louis. It's on the KMOX Sports Facebook page every Thursday at 530. We'll be back for a final word right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.